Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. All right, special edition here of the Seeing Red Podcast. We won't do our usual intro because we are live on site from the Mecca at Madison Square Garden, recapping the Red Storm's Big East tournament win over Georgetown, 75-62. to it's, it's special because of a couple reasons. Obviously, we are at the Big East tournament here. Number two, we are here with a very special guest and a very special in-person guest in Brendan Myers. Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm good, but I just don't know if I'm going to be able to, to do this interview in person. I'm, I'm kind of used to our over-the-phone over the phone setup, but... Yeah, it is a little odd, but we'll, we'll get through it. And we're in a great environment here, and we might not be here tomorrow, so that has something to do with it a little bit. He's shrugging right now for all at home. Um, big win for the Johnnies, though. They end the game on a 23 nothing run. Um, looked like it was going to be a very disappointing finish, really. Looked like it was going to be a dis- very disappointing finish this season, I should say. You know, really came out. I don't want to say came out flat, but just we're getting beat by Georgetown. And uh, Troy, go ahead. Uh, Troy, I'm not going to lie. Go I, ahead. I have notes that I was writing down during the game. Okay. Georgetown was up 52-47. Uh-huh. St. John's comes down on the fast break. Carraher throws the alley-oop up to Figueroa. They brick the layup. Georgetown comes down. Jamarco Pickett hits a mid-range jump shot to beat the shot clock as it, it was expired. I mean, it was just it was a disaster mm-hmm. sequence. It ended up being 50, 56, 47, I yeah. think, before yep. Mike Anderson took a timeout. So I was ready to talk about, you know, what were the big takeaways from Mike Anderson's first season. I, me too. But then Marcellus Erlington happened, <laughs> and now we're looking at a much different outlook right now. Marcellus Erlington, I think, finished with, with 19, 19 points. 19, yeah. So... Obviously, it was a team effort to get back into the game, but I think he was the standout performer. Of course, LJ had uh-huh. a couple of big shots. Uh-huh. A little unfortunate they didn't get the putback dunk, that he had the hand on the rim. So and they, even that felt like it was a moment where it would have tied the game, not to cut you off, but that, right. it felt like that was a moment too, 62-60, Georgetown's leading. It felt like that was a, a chance for St. John's, and then it maybe felt like we were going to go a little flat going into yeah. the timeout, and then next thing you know, Georgetown doesn't score again the rest yeah. of the game, you know? I'm not, I'm not, uh, one thing I want to talk about too is I think it's just a testament to to Mike Anderson and his teaching abilities that David Carraher and Damian Sears now at the end of the season are are playing their best basketball. Not that that their their box scores are going to jump off the page. David Carraher might have only finished with with five points, I think. I don't even think Sears scored. I think he had two. Yeah, he might have had one basket, yeah. Right. Uh But they're giving productive minutes, and that's something that maybe wasn't the case at the beginning of the season. Uh Damian Sears coming in playing good defense. David Carr coming up with a, a couple of really nice hustle plays, yes. diving on the floor, poking balls free. But one thing also that I'll talk about Georgetown a little bit, and I was tremendously impressed with them in the first half, and that was when Cutis Wahab was playing the bulk of the minutes at the five for the Hoyas. Uh-huh. In the second half down the stretch, when St. John's goes on the run, it was Omer, you're at seven, yeah. and at the five. Yep. So I just wonder if them trying to force the ball inside the year at seven, it got them away from the principles that, they, that got them off the shot. That, strong start because uh-huh. if you looked in that first half Terrell Allen and Javon Blair were creating fast breaks for the Hoyas yeah, uh-huh. it would be a standard rebound for the Hoyas Wahab or Mosley would get it and all of a sudden Blair or Allen would be into the front court looking yeah, for the outlet yeah. pass and St. John's was having fits with that yeah, but Georgetown uh-huh. kind of abandoned that down the stretch in the second half when your seven was in the game so not necessarily that your seven hurt them because he still gave him good minutes yeah, yeah. in his uh-huh. return from injury but it was just an interesting contrast of styles and at the end of the day it did hurt Georgetown. Yeah, it felt like down the stretch, those last couple of minutes, 
the Georgetown offense was basically throw it down low to Yurt 7, and then he was going to get doubled, and he wasn't handling the double team all that well also. They were doing a good job denying him the ball also down the stretch. He was making the passes that he needed to out of the double team, yeah. but they weren't sharp passes. Yeah. Uh -huh. They weren't crisp passes. Everything uh -huh. was a lot. St. John's was kind of getting close, deflecting it. And as a shooter, if you're expecting a ball to come in cleanly and it, it takes a little bit of a yeah. different spin because of the deflection, that means everything if uh -huh. you can't catch that ball cleanly. Uh-huh, exactly. And, I, I mean, I think that's the story of, of the comeback. Listen, the offense was great. LJ hit a couple big shots. Marcellus hit a couple of big shots. The story has to be the defense, though. I mean, I don't know exactly how many minutes they held Georgetown scoreless for. You can check that out. But, I mean, that the, the defensive effort down the stretch to, to hold them, yeah, 0 for their last 10 field goals. And it was a six-and-a-half-minute scoring six drought. Six-and-a-half-minute scoring drought. That was the game. I mean, I mean that's, you know, Georgetown had 62 points with six minutes left to, to keep them at that number the rest of the game. Yeah. Defense is the story of this and game. And, Troy, talk about that defense. Georgetown finishes the game with 21 turnovers. But at one point during yeah. the first half, uh -huh. Georgetown had eight turnovers, but St. John's only converted those yeah. turnovers into four points. And that was kind of why Georgetown was able to keep St. John's at an arm's distance or why St. John's wasn't able to pull away. St. John's led 24-19 at one point. He yep. couldn't really pull away. Georgetown goes on the run to end the first half and then extends that into the second half. But it's because, I mean, you know with Mike Anderson, you know you're going to get 40 solid defensive minutes uh -huh. as far as effort. Maybe uh -huh. maybe the fundamentals aren't there. Closeouts still are a problem yeah. with this team. Uh -huh. Printer defense isn't always perfect. But you know the effort's going to be there. And they were forcing turnovers, getting the deflections. But if you're not converting it on the other end, what good yeah. does that do? Because uh -huh. Georgetown was either coming down and not being punished for the turnovers. And at the end of the day, that's what hurt him. But now looking at the end of the game, St. John's finishes with 20 points off yeah. of those 21 uh -huh. turnovers. Uh -huh. They went by 13. That, that's a big that's swing. That's a difference, yeah. Uh -huh. Offensive end for St. John's, I, I didn't have any problems with, like, I feel like they were moving the ball well. They were they were creating open shots. It just feels like like we didn't see in the Marquette game, we didn't see in the uh, in even the Butler game, really, where they were missing all of those open shots. You know, the Creighton game as well. They were missing all those open shots. I feel like they missed six or seven wide open threes like like that you just can't miss if you were going to win this type of game so I don't feel like the offense was a, was a problem at all this, this entire game you're going to talk about the offense and the missed wide open threes I'm going to talk about the missed wide open layup that, that's because always been an issue yep. Kevin uh, who's downstairs at the press conference right now yeah. him and I always joke that if they kept track of missed layups St. John's would have to be top five in the country oh, yeah. probably top two or one because no I just hey, how many layups that this team misses it, it, it gets frustrating to watch uh, again I know if I was out there I wouldn't be doing a better job, so I can't really be, be one to criticize. But again, it could have been a backbreaker. 52-47, you come down on the LU, um, and Figueroa can't convert it on the pass uh -huh. from Carraher. Uh -huh. So tomorrow against Creighton, a team with more depth. Yeah. I know Zagorowski might not play. Still, though. Yeah. But against the better teams, they'll make you pay if you're not converting those easy opportunities. Uh -huh. Let's talk about the depth for a second. Um, did it feel to you, I mean, to me it felt like Georgetown finally got winded where the first meeting between these two teams, it didn't really matter. You know, they were Georgetown was up by 20, so the, the depth just, uh, didn't really matter. The first Garden meeting or the last Garden meeting, 
it felt like it almost worked in Georgetown's favor. This game, though, it did feel like Georgetown got, I don't want to say tired, but it felt like they were a little bit, you know, a step slower maybe than St. John's, you know? No, it's funny because before the game, we were doing our, our pregame coverage here for WSJU, and yeah. I was just talking about keys to the game. St. John's is going to want to push the pace here. Georgetown was going to want to slow things down because you knew fatigue was going to be an issue down the track. But then Georgetown all of a sudden comes out, and they're running and gunning. Yeah. I mean, Terrell Allen and Javon Blair were pushing the pace. I mean, they uh, were one-man fast breaks yeah. for, for 40% yeah. of that first half. So I was stunned, but then it did become an issue. You saw Terrell Allen pick up that injury. Who knows if that was a cramp? Not here to speculate. Yeah. But it just, that was something that really changed the game. When Georgetown needed to, to go to that seventh guy on the bench, it really wasn't there. But I would be remiss not to give Patrick Ewing a ton oh, yeah. uh, of credit for what he did with Georgetown. That was a program that easily could have ended up with eight wins this season. Yeah. It could have been a disaster uh-huh. with the Josh LeBlanc stuff, James Akinjo transferring midseason. McClung being hurt. M- McClung yeah. being uh-huh. hurt. Your seven missed a lot of the back end of the season. But it's, it's a shame that it has to come to an end for Georgetown tonight because it was, and again, a 15-17 and 17 overall record is not up to what Georgetown expects from their basketball. Yeah. program so if you I know you have a, lot, a big Georgetown following <laughs> of course yeah of course yeah. so they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> give me some flack yeah but I, you do have to give Patrick Ewing a, a lot of credit for no, what I he agree. did with Georgetown I agree you're right this could have very easily been a season where they were they had a season like the ball you know like right. three or four wins in the conference you know what are you trying to say about the ball well that's true well we know what the ball is come on, come on. We're, we're we're about to watch them play actually in a few minutes we're gonna see the ball play um St. John's on the offensive end, we kind of touched on it. LJ Figueroa, Marcellus Erlington felt like those two guys really paced the entire comeback. They might have really been the entire comeback for St. John's. Um, Figueroa even hit a couple shots, though, where it felt like the game was kind of teetering to really fall into Georgetown's favor. Felt like he hit a couple shots to really keep them in it, and then a couple big shots to put it away. Now, and if we're being honest, too, St. John's finishing the game basically the better part of 31% from behind the arc. Yeah. uh That's a miracle. Yeah. (laughs) Because a sizable portion into that first half, they were shooting 10% from behind the arc. Uh, And, again, 31%, not going to jump off. That's actually still very poor three-point shooting. Uh But the fact that they were able to rescue to that point, make the threes that they need, Erlington figure out, as you just mentioned, because in the the two of the last three wins that they had, when they won two of their last three games to close out the regular Uh, season, Greg Williams and Julian Champagny were the guys. And and really opened up their perimeter offense and were able to extend the defense. That really wasn't there tonight. Julian Champagny and Greg Williams more with the the low-key contribution, not showing up on the stat sheet. So for the fact that St. John's was able to rescue it, you just look, Figueroa was four for ten. Erlington, though, the sharpshooter, three for five. He's what got it done. Where does that come from? Uh, Again, it's just something, because we didn't see a ton of Marcellus Erlington last year as a freshman. Uh So you don't... You don't know how much of that was on his own and how much was that I mean my voice is cracking left and right <laughs> it's here. Totally fine. But mine's hanging on by thread. You don't know how much uh, that that was Anderson and yeah. how much you know was his pure talent. Yeah. But I'm gonna give Anderson a ton of credit because the development of the underclassmen from last season and Champagne is a freshman and his the first we've seen from him, the development from beginning to end of the season has just been tremendous. And it's the kind of thing that even when you're struggling, you you couldn't not be optimistic for where things were headed, yes. but we're not here to play the moral victories game tomorrow. No, absolutely we're not. We're not here to play the moral victories We got a big game game. coming up tomorrow now as yeah. well. Um, for LJ, one more thing that I want to note too. 
I mean, it's and you can hear the band in the background now, which is fantastic. It's the but yeah, you're, yeah, you're getting the full experience this here. This is March. <laughs> this is very much March. With LJ, I want to note this too. I mean. He's kind of been scrutinized a lot by this fan base. I feel like he hasn't played terribly. He's definitely played. I think he's definitely been lower than we expected him to be, but he hasn't been terrible. It felt like good for me for him that he had the kind of game that he had today, that he hit the couple of shots that he hit today. Kind of gives him that moment, especially if this is going to be his last or second to last game as a St. John's player. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely tell the mental impact Heron's injury had on Figueroa's game because yeah. you definitely saw him trying to be the guy. And that's commendable. He, yeah. want, he wanted to step up yeah. in Mustafa Heron's absence, but it really just did not go according to plan. I mean, he, he shot 6 for 17 against Seton Hall, I believe. 2 for 17 one game. I mean, yeah. just uh-huh. not Some great numbers. Games. But I was so happy because LJ got back to his fundamentals in the first half. Yes. And by his fundamentals, I mean those floaters around the rim. Yeah. That's where uh-huh. he's most comfortable. Uh-huh. And you saw the putback dunk got called back because he hung on the rim <laughs> while the ball popped up. But that's LJ yeah. Figueroa. Uh-huh. He uses those inside baskets and those easy floaters for him easy not so much for anybody yeah, uh, else but they don't look easy yeah and those <laughs> highlight plays and he uses the interior game uh, interior portion of his offense to expand behind the arc and you saw that in the second half yes. that he saw one or two easy ones go uh-huh. and that translates to the range he, he made one from the Madison Square Garden logo <laughs> yeah. on the court there yeah. I know this is an audio podcast you haven't moved into to a live stream <laughs> not yet, not yet. yet. <laughs> so we can't point to it but if you're watching on TV you know yeah but it's the confidence. He's such a confidence player. such a streaky player. Uh-huh. But he's the kind of guy that, you know, if he gets hot, who the heck knows what St. John's can do? No, I agree. And it, it did feel like Georgetown, once they kind of figured out that St. John's wasn't going to hit their threes, they kind of packed it in. They were trying to take away the inside from the Red Storm, forcing them to shoot those outside shots. But once St. John saw like one or two of those go in, I feel like that that helps so much. Just hitting a couple of those shots, and you know, and then that, then it kind of forced Georgetown to not be able to pack it in, and kind of opens up the, the the inside a little bit more, you know? Yeah, and if, if we're looking at it too, Patrick Ewing switched to that two-three yeah, zone uh-huh. in the middle of the first half, and I mean, it's Chris Mullen, Mike Anderson, whoever, whatever coach you want to look to, it gives it gives St. John's fits for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They've always struggled against the two-three zone. There was one possession coming out of a timeout where Rasheem Dunn takes one step inside the arc, a contested mid-range jump shot, and then another one where not a lot of motion around the perimeter. Rasheem Dunn ends up taking a three at 23%, three-point shooter yeah, on the season, uh-huh. taking a three. It's not what you want. No. And that was when Georgetown went on the run. They were playing exactly the way Patrick Ewing wanted them to. Yeah. The two-three zone accomplished everything that Ewing could have imagined, and then some. But again, a credit to St. John's for not panicking and not letting Georgetown, because that, that game easily could have gotten away from them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. largest lead during this what was game. it, 16, I think, Something right? Like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Their largest lead was, was 15. 15. They went on uh-huh. the 10-0 run uh-huh. to put them up 15. I mean, it... You can't stress enough, and that's—I think—that is the difference with being a Mike Anderson coach team versus being a Chris Mullen yeah. coach team. Yes, is I think the coach just instills a little bit more composure because of the offensive sets he's running. Uh-huh. And and let's be honest too, Nick Rutherford, an experienced ball handler. I know he had a couple of turnovers. Another voice crack there. That's three for the folks <laughs> counting at home. But I think having that experienced ball handler out on the floor, you know, LJ Figueroa is a guy that the ball is going to be comfortable with in his hand. Yes. Dunn's a third ball handler. Uh-huh. Having that experience, those are guys that have been around the block. This isn't their first rodeo. No. And that helps to not let a game 
get away because I mean, if we're being honest, St. John's goes down 15 a year or two ago. It's probably over. it's a problem. It's yeah. a problem. Uh, uh, I agree. Now, let's talk about that mentality of Anderson. Feels like tonight was kind of a microcosm of the season a little bit. There were a lot of points where you would have said like, "All right, this is this is you know this game's over. It is what it is. We were picked to finish ninth. We're we're playing the expectations. Whatever. They just don't give up. They fight and they fight and they fight. And this team just keeps fighting. And and that's what I love about Anderson in year one is just it's just they haven't. There has never been one point in this season where I felt like they've given up on the season. You know? Right. There's been two anomalies, right? That that road game at Georgetown. Yeah. And the road game at Seton Hall. Uh-huh. We're really the only two games where I would say that just from the from the off they, no they had no shot at winning yeah. it. Uh-huh. But again, the effort it's never an effort thing when in years past it has been an effort thing yes. where it looks like they switch off. This St. John's team doesn't switch off. They might make mistakes. Yeah. And a lot you saw Jamarco Pickett do some damage from the corner. When you live and die by the press, uh-huh. it's as simple as that. There's gonna be opportunities on the backside. It's something I've talked about, we've talked about before. Yeah. That, but being able to overcome that and the press can just recap. Have it. Yes. And even if you don't force a turnover, right? Georgetown comes over half court. They've got 18 seconds on the yeah. shot clock. Uh-huh. They can't totally run their different full game. set. Yeah. It's, a, it's a different thing when uh-huh. you shorten the opponent's possession. Absolutely. Now, do we want to talk about tomorrow at all? I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a. It's a game for St. Johnson. I think they can they can give him a game. I mean, they beat him they by 20. They can absolutely give him a game, and they got a favorable matchup. I'd feel much differently about tomorrow if it was Villanova or Seton Hall yeah, I agree. in, in uh-huh. that 12 o'clock game. Uh-huh. But, look, you cannot underestimate the the impact that a 7 o'clock game and then a 12 o'clock game the next day yeah. has. Uh-huh. It's next to impossible to do that. But, you know, Creighton without Marcus Zagorowski, Troy, I don't know if you knew, but this is March. So <laughs> anything could happen. You know what it felt like in this arena, too? It felt like this team was kind of ready to be that little, like, Cinderella team. You know, you never know. And I would love that. I mean, there might not be fans here tomorrow, but I'm confident enough to say that it will not be a repeat. St. John's will not win by 21 tomorrow. I'm I'm (laughs) confident enough to say that. But they definitely have a chance, and it's more than a puncher's chance. It's more than just that they're on the floor tomorrow, so they technically have a chance to win. They could give Creighton a fit. No, I agree. They really could. I think that's the goal for tomorrow is you look at the last three three seasons, 2017, blown out by Villanova in the second round. 2018, blown out by Xavier. 2019, blown out by Marquette. Just give them a game. Like, that's all that I – like, I mean, this season's already been, in my opinion – it's, it's met or exceeded expectations. Give Creighton a game tomorrow, win that game somehow, you've, you've taken the next step, in my opinion. And I'm like, just give him a game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do they, I mean, they can be in the NIT now as well, but I don't know if they're going to play the NIT. Your, your thoughts on the NIT, it, it, would you go if you're St. John's? It, I mean, I absolutely would because yeah. if we have, St. John's hasn't been to, to postseason play. I mean, they, they made it last year. Kind of last year. <laughs> but the thing with last year is that they limped into the tournament. Yeah, you know exactly, I mean? exactly. It's not the way you want to enter the tournament. Uh-huh. So, last, obviously, after that, the last time. And that yeah. was four years in the making with Chris Mullen, yes, too. Yes, it took and so, yeah. Uh-huh. It took so long, and then to make the first four with a team that had so much talent. It felt unfulfilled. Yeah, yeah, it definitely uh-huh. felt unfulfilled. And we haven't, and we'll, we'll get out of here on this, we haven't 
we haven't gone into the end of the season like playing well and I feel like forever you know like the 2015 was playing well I feel like but you look at this team now like I want to see them play more like I want to see them play tomorrow if they give Creighton a game tomorrow I want to see them play again in the, in the NIT like I like for the first time in a while at the end of the season I'm like I'm not sick of this team like I want to see them continuing to play more games and if they have to cancel the NIT because of because of the coronavirus then that's one thing but I want to see this team play more no and the thing like I said I mentioned it with David Carrier and Damian Sears earlier oh. every play like I know we just talked about LJ Figueroa's struggles yeah but that's because I think he was forcing the issue a little bit too much yeah every player on this roster has gotten better oh, nobody's yeah. regressed and that's not something you could say about St. John's over the past couple of years no absolutely not well this has been fun game two is about to tip off though we 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 did about 20 minutes there. Yeah, you can hear the crowd here. Uh, let's see the crowd. Not a great crowd, but the Xavier student section's kind of pumping over there, so that's kind of yeah, cool. DePaul's in the tournament because they're in the Big East. But, uh, <laughs> DePaul is here. The, DePaul the players are here. here. We can confirm DePaul And, and an empty arena game would not make much of a difference I, for I DePaul. I pissed off your Georgetown listeners right before, now, now I'm going to piss off your DePaul. DePaul as well, but thank you, man, for doing this. It's been a lot of fun. You've been one of our best all season long, and uh, yeah, we look forward to next season, I guess. Maybe Maybe we'll do like an end of season thing with you. We'll have you on probably to do that. March. This is very much March. All right. Peace out from the Seeing Red podcast live on site at the Madison Square Garden.